We're talking about the characteristics of a good leader. The characteristics of a good leader. Not all of them, of course, but some. And no doubt this is going to be a topical Bible study. It'll be more teaching, not so much uh, preaching, as we look into some of these principles about leadership. And I do enjoy expository preaching. And there's a group that believes the only preaching is expository. I get that. And I think all your preaching, you know, expository is taking a passage, what it means, pulling that truth out. I get that. And that's good. And there's sometimes in teaching times like this where topical does um, come in handy and you can look at different passages to get an idea. A lot of the, the group that's afraid, not a, uh, not a fan of topical, is because it's easy to impose your own ideas into the text by doing so. But we're not going to do that tonight. How does that sound? We're not going to do that. We're just going to look at some verses about leadership and see what God has for us. So the question tonight is, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. How many of you would say that you are a leader? You are a leader. You view yourself as a leader. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. How many of you would say, you don't have to raise your hand, you would say, I'm more of a follower. I am a follower. I'm not really a leader. And that's not bad because, you know, there needs to be people for leaders to lead. And so there has to be some followers. And so I'm not sure. Did you ever hear the 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 story about the girl who applied for college and Something happened. Oh, here we go. We're back at it. This the girl who applied for college and she was filling out a resume and and you know they asked one of the questions, Are you a leader or are you a follower? And she was honest and she put follower and she thought that, well, that may hurt my chances of getting in. But I'm gonna do it nonetheless. And so they called her up and they said, Well, we we wanted to accept you to our college because, you know, we had you know, 5,000 leaders, and we only had one follower. And so whether or not you're a follower, that is okay. But I think there is times that we all have the opportunity to be leaders, and we all have to step up to the plate to be a leader. And when we think of the word leader, oftentimes we think of presidents. We think of kings. We think of CEOs. We think of employers, business owners. We think about maybe pastors. But we don't think about the mundane leaders that help society go forward. And the things like a father. Father's a leader. If you're a mother in here, you are a leader. You may have not realized that. You say, well, I follow my husband's leading. Yes, but you are a leader to your children. Absolutely, 100%. You say, well, I'm not, maybe maybe I don't lead a Sunday school class. I'm just a helper. You are a leader to those kids. And we have opportunities, maybe even in a group of friends. Generally, you are not the leader. You're just one of the group. You're just following what other people do. But when faced with an opportunity of right and wrong, there's often opportunities for you to step up, even as a follower, and become a leader and show people the right way to go. And so although you may not view yourself as a leader ordinarily, I think there are opportunities in life where every single one of these principles, there's only four we're going to look at tonight, will and can apply to you. 
So let's look at the first one. The first one here is wisdom. Wisdom. Let's look at a verse here. Proverbs 8, 14 through 16 says, Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me, which is referring to wisdom, kings reign, and princes decree justice. By me, again, that's wisdom, princes rule, and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. Each one of these verses that we look at, from each one of these characteristics, they have to do um, they have to do with kings and with leaders. And so there is a difference, there is a huge difference between knowledge and wisdom. A big difference. Knowledge is more on the informational side that you gain over time, but wisdom is the ability to apply that knowledge to make good decisions. Here's an example. How many people know how to shoot a gun? A lot of people. But there's quite, but the difference between, that's knowledge, but wisdom is knowing when to keep the thing holstered, right? We would say that that's the difference. So there is a massive difference just between knowledge and wisdom. I have known a lot of educated idiots, if you don't mind me using that word. Educated idiots, people who have a lot of knowledge, they've been to school, wow, they have degrees. They have more degrees on their wall. I can't even pronounce the things that they got at school. But they're terrible at making good decisions. They're terrible at making good decisions. Wisdom is totally separate from knowledge. And in chapters 1 through 9 of Proverbs here, Solomon, he's of course instructing his son on how to live. And he refers to wisdom heavily through these first nine chapters. It's kind of the theme of it. And he says that the fear of the Lord, what is it? It's the beginning. It's the beginning. And so um, when we get to chapters 8 and 9 here, this is more of the application side, I would say, to it. And he, he gives kind of illustrations between chapter 8 and 9 of two women and how there's, there's two forces who are out there trying to, one's trying to lift you up, the other's trying to bring you down. In chapter 8, we see wisdom trying to gather people. She stands at the gates of the city and tries to compel people. It's an illustration that he uses. But he says the foolishness, of course, is doing the same thing. And that the simple people, they go right on and they're leading to, they are led to destruct, destruction. Wisdom is a choice. It is a choice. I don't believe it's something that you are born with. I think it's something that you must choose to do. Lazy people generally don't choose wisdom. They choose the easiest way out. There's different speculations on this first few chapters of Proverbs as to what wisdom is. And one of the interpretations we would say of it would be that this wisdom is referring to Jesus Christ. Now, maybe Solomon knew that when he was writing it. Maybe he didn't. Um, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. I don't believe that there's any wisdom outside of Jesus Christ. Would you agree with that? Yes, there is no wisdom outside of Jesus Christ. The only true wisdom is found in him. And without Christ, there is no wisdom. They go 100% hand in hand. You can't obtain wisdom without Christ, I don't believe. You can have a lot of smarts. Maybe you can make good business decisions. But we're not just talking about business decisions. We're talking about things that have to do with eternity, eternal decisions. 
And so when you have Christ, consequently, you have wisdom. And it's something that we can desire for, and I believe we can obtain. What's wrong with America today? There's no wisdom. There is no wisdom. Why is there no wisdom? Because Jesus is nowhere to be found. Right? Wouldn't you say so? If Jesus was in the hearts of all those people up there in Washington, D.C., do you think things would change a little bit? Do you think decisions would start making sense? Some of the things that I see going on, I'm a 28-year-old. I'm young. I'm young. I'm young. But I'll tell you what, I can see plain and crystal clear that decisions that are being made are like children making decisions. They make no sense. I'm not here to talk politics, but it just happens to go right along with leadership. And when you are a leader and you do not have Christ in your life, I do not believe there's a way that you can properly use the knowledge that you have to make wise decisions that honor God, that have eternal benefits to them. Why do we have young people today going around and shooting up these schools and going around and shooting up churches? Why is that happening? There's no wisdom because Jesus is nowhere to be found. We say, why in the world do those things happen? Uh, a couple years ago when it seemed like it was happening about every week, me and Mr. Dale were talking and in the sound booth, not during church, unfortunately. We were talking, and he made a statement. He says, you know, they take God out of school, and what do you expect? Right? You take God out of school, what do you expect? If God was in school and was allowed to be uplifted and put to the place where he should be, I don't believe a lot of these things would be happening. But because, as a nation, we've allowed God to be taken out of the school, consequently, these things are happening. And wise decisions are not being made. Let's look at the other verse that has to do with wisdom. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. See then that you walk circumspectly. That means completely, wholly. Not just partially, but, but totally. Not as fools, but as wise. Again, there seems to be a choice that can be made. You don't have to walk around like a fool and making poor decisions that don't honor God. We can. We can make wise choices if we want to, redeeming the time. Redeeming has to do with the idea of if you have a check and it has a dollar amount written on there, you don't really possess that money till you go down and deposit it. And we allow time, and I allow time to just go by without claiming it and not using it wisely. The days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what. The will of the Lord is. There is a choice to walk in wisdom. The next verse says, And be not drunk with wine. I don't have it up here. And be not drunk with wine. We're in excess. But be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? Be not drunk with wine. We're in excess. But be filled with the Spirit. We like to focus on that first part. And we usually miss the whole concept of the thing. Don't be drunk. That's what we normally focus on. But it has a good meaning. And there's an illustration between being drunk and being filled with the Spirit. And it's a beautiful thing about how we can obtain wisdom by being filled with the Spirit. When a drunkard goes and puts a bottle to his lips, he begins to fill himself with alcohol. 
And when he begins to be filled with alcohol, by the way, it's a conscious choice. It doesn't just, he doesn't get drunk from one sip, but after indulging himself over and over and over again into that liquor, he soon becomes filled with it. And then that liquor ends up overtaking him. We would agree on that. Am I right? Yes, absolutely. And so there's a choice and he becomes overtaken. And now, essentially, he isn't making his own choices per se. That liquor's making some choices for him. Any of us who've seen someone who's intoxicated knows exactly what I'm talking about. But on the side of the spirit, it's, it's a neat illustration that when we yield to the spirit, we say, not my will, but the will of the spirit, time after time, we begin to be filled with the spirit. We're emptying out ourselves, and now we are filling ourselves with the Holy Spirit. And we become filled, and just like the drunkard, he walks around intoxicated under the influence of that beverage. Us as children of God, when we yield to the Spirit, we become full of the Spirit. Next thing you know, we start making decisions in the Spirit, and that's where I believe the wisdom comes in. But I don't think you can have a good grip on the wisdom without being filled with the Spirit, and the way you be filled with the Spirit is by yielding to the Spirit, is getting rid of self and being filled with the Lord. So, the next verse we have is James 1.5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. It can be obtained by anybody. You don't have to have a PhD to get wisdom. I've known people who have no high school education, but they are wise. They are wise. If anyone lack, does it, does it matter how much money you have in the bank? Isn't it funny how people, people just, they think that money equals wisdom, money equals the not, no, it doesn't, it doesn't. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. I love that because that means I can get wisdom because I'm neither very intelligent and I'm not, I don't have a lot of money. It's great. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. That giveth to all men liberally. Normally, we don't think of God as being a liberal, but in this case, he's a liberal. He wants you to have it. He freely gives it, like welfare. It's people who don't deserve it. He gives it liberally. He wants you to have it. He abradeth not. It means he doesn't hold anything back, whatever, and it shall be given him. I love promises in the Bible. It shall be given to him. Dads, do you want to know how to raise your kids? Yes. Yes. Hey, ask God. And by the way, you do need wisdom. It's not if you need wisdom, it's you do need wisdom, 100%. I love um, the story of Samson in the Bible when the angel of the Lord came and, and told, um, and told uh, Manoah and, of course, uh, Samson's mother that this, what was going to happen and here's the rules to abide by. And I love what Manoah says. He says, I'm paraphrasing here, he says, he entreated God, he asked God and said, you know, hey, send that angel back that we know what we can, so how we can raise this child. I think it says, uh, teach us what we should do unto the child. That is an awesome statement. What was he doing? He was asking for wisdom. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with this kid. Ask God. Ask God. Normally, we like to go a lot of other avenues before we, before we get to God. We like to read a lot of books. Now, I think, I think there is some of that. I think those are good things. God provides those opportunities. But I think the first response should be going to God. You want to be, you, do you want to know how to influence and be a leader to your grandkids? Ask God. Ask God. 
Do you want to know how to influence those young people that are in your Sunday school class or on your bus or the people who are in your neighborhood? Ask God. I think he'll help you. Friends, coworkers, ask God. Integrity. Integrity is the second one, a characteristic of a good leader. The handshake. What happened to the handshake? COVID? No, I'm not talking about COVID. Not talking about COVID. I'm talking about the days of the handshake deals. Some of you are old enough to remember what those were. Anybody brave enough to raise their hand when you could just shake hands on something and it was a done deal? Not anymore. Not anymore. Now you got to have legal binding contracts for everything. When you buy a house, oh my goodness, the paperwork is astronomical. You can't even understand what it's saying. You just trust them. Can't pronounce half the words. These legal binding contracts, and the worst part about it is, is you can still wiggle out of them. Seems to be the case. What in the world happened to the good old-fashioned handshake? Integrity. People lost their integrity. People stopped doing what was right. Proverbs 29, 4 says, The king by judgment establisheth the land, but he that receiveth gifts overthroweth it. People have lost the fear of the Lord, and they would rather choose to go after wickedness and they don't have the fear of the Lord because we're not talking about fear of the Lord that, oh, I, anytime I do something bad, God's just going to whack me. He's just standing over me with a hammer looking to drop it on me anytime I do something wrong. No, it's more of, an, it's more of a realization of who God actually is and how powerful and awesome and wonderful he is. And because of that, it drives us to do what's right. People have lost integrity because they've lost the fear of the Lord. Today we're surprised when there's integrity. Have you ever thought about that? We are surprised when somebody is actually honest. When somebody drops money on the ground and they come up and they say, hey, is this yours? Or they turn a wallet into the office. It's surprising. Do you guys remember back in the day when that was normal? It's crazy. I don't remember that. But I know it happened by the testimony of, of many of you. So 29.4 went up. 29.4, I have, when a leader has his hand in someone else's pocket, he makes biased decisions. When a leader has his hand in somebody else's pocket, he makes bad decisions. Think about the government. Why do we have these crazy laws and biased decisions and decisions that don't seem to be good for the people going on, good for other countries, but not for America? Why is that? This is Bible. This is Bible. Because many of our politicians have their hands in other people's pockets. And it causes them to make bad decisions. So as a leader, we must be consciously aware of not letting other people use monetary possessions to influence us. When I was in college, one of my professors, he told a story about a principal in a high school who a, one of the parents, one of the parents of the students, wanted to do something nice, so it seemed, for the, for the uh, school principal. And so they said, okay, well, we want to buy you a car. And so they said, okay, great. And so they bought him this car, and short story is, ended up, the dad ended up owning the principal. 
because the principal didn't want to do what was right, kick the daughter out, whatever it may be, and it swayed his decisions. Now, is it wrong for somebody to want to buy the principal a car? No. No. I think there should be counsel involved in some of that. I think there should be some things up front that are said. Um, I think, um, you know, I like how we did it at the church with Preacher and all the deacons got together and said, hey, this is what we want to do for Preacher. And it was all 100% unanimous, agreed. That was a good way to do it. And it caused none of that to happen. But this kind of thing does happen to people in lobbyist groups, get in people of power. And soon enough, people in leadership start making decisions that aren't good for the common man, but good for themselves. and keeps their pockets lined. And so what else we got here? Proverbs 16, 12. It is an abomination for kings to commit wickedness, for the throne is established by righteousness. When the word abomination is used, that means that God really doesn't like it. He doesn't use that word very lightly. It means he really detests it. And kings should not be associated with wickedness. And the throne should be established with righteousness. When a leader does what's right, he earns the trust of his followers. To gain respect from his followers, he must do what is right. He must do what is right. A husband, a father, an employer, a mother, a friend, in order to gain the respect of the people you are trying to lead, you must do right. Nobody likes, a, nobody is going to listen and accept a double faced person, somebody that says something and does another. The wickedness, I mean, even we've had impeachments, of course, in the United States. And I mean, you know, even for the United States, I'm surprised that we even impeached about all the other crazy stuff that goes on. I'm surprised, um, you know, even what went on with like Bill Clinton. Wickedness. Wickedness happened and he lost his role. And so as leaders, we must not allow wickedness to creep into our lives because it affects our followers and they lose trust in us. And soon we do not become leaders and we hurt those who follow us. Love, the most misunderstood word love love faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful when i was in college right about this time it's february by the way valentine's day is coming up you're welcome men valentine's day is coming up and at my college crown college they would do a valentine's banquet every year and the tradition is, is of course, that you know a guy would go ask a girl to go to the banquet with them. And so around this time of year, a few weeks before the banquet, all of a sudden I would notice that there'd be one, two, three, four guys coming back to the dorm. They, they wouldn't be walking. They'd be floating in the air because some girl finally gave them the time of day. And so they would just come, and they would come into my room and tell them, oh, how great this girl is. Oh, you wouldn't believe how she just so, showed so much interest in me, and you, you just, you know how it goes. And I would break it to them because I loved them. And I would say, guys, she's only talking to you because something's coming up in two weeks. What's that? The banquet. She needs someone to go to the banquet with. And you're just the guy that she's using to get there. 
And of course, that is a wound. No, she likes me. She really likes me. I don't think so. I don't think so. So, a week after the banquet, they're not floating anymore. You were right. You were right. She didn't like me. She used me to go to the banquet. It happens. But soon what happened is, is, you know, by the time I got to about my fourth year in college, um, if any time there was somebody who needed to tell them the real hard stone cold truth, I would get about five, six people come in my room back. Well, Chris, he'll tell us the truth. Does this girl like me? No. Oh, oh, she doesn't. Anyways, but you tell them the truth because I loved them. A lot of people wouldn't do that. They'd lead them on, and I tried to give them a heads up. They wouldn't take it. People abuse this word love. They think it has to do with just doing whatever makes somebody else happy. I don't enjoy disciplining my children. I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy having to discipline Mason. It's not a thrill. I don't like it. Despite, despite how much children might think that you, we do enjoy it, we don't. We do not enjoy it. It's not fun. But I do it because I love my son. If I did not love him, I would not discipline him. It's hard, but it's true. I have kids in school, of course, being the principal of the school, I have the great opportunity to deal with punishments. And those are not fun. Those are not enjoyable. It's not fun for me to tell a young person who is an athlete who's doing well and say, because of your poor behavior and being disrespectful, you're no longer allowed to play in the game tonight. That hurts. But what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm looking out for them in the long run. Because if we nip it in the butt now, it fi- hopefully it's going to fix it in the future. Because if I really love them, I'm going to do the hard thing and I'm going to wound them. And hopefully at some point in time, they're going to come back and they're going to say, Mr. Chris, you had my best interest in mind. When a kid messes up and does something dumb and irresponsible and I have to suspend them, but that suspension follows, falls on a day where they have a final exam, that means you get a zero because you're not in class. It's unexcused. Yikes. That's not enjoyable. But what I'm doing is I'm trying to help them in the long run. And so this idea of love is miscontorted, that it's only doing things that make people happy. If Oh, if I really loved the kid, I would, I would just let him play in the game. I would just let him take his exam. But that's not the case. But because I do love them, I, I do the hard thing. Try to help them. Proverbs 20, 28, mercy and truth preserve a king, and his throne is upholden by mercy. Reminds me of the parable of the unforgiving servant, how he was forgiven so much, a debt that it seems like he would never be able to repay. And the king says, you're forgiven. But that same guy goes around and he goes back to somebody who owed him just a little bit amount of money and says, you can't pay? You're going to jail. Of course, the king heard about this and took that um, unforgiving servant and put him in prison. A wise person, this goes back to wisdom, by the way, a 
wise person and a wise leader understands how much that we have been forgiven. And where is the line between mercy? You can't do mercy every time. Where is that line? It's a good question. That goes back to the wisdom part, right? You have to have wisdom to know exactly what to do. And you say, well, I don't know what to do. What was James 1.5? If any of you lack wisdom, ask God. Ask God. Because he gives it to you liberally and, a, and upbraideth not. That's where the balance comes in. So, and the last one here is a characteristic of a good leader is somebody who seeks good advisors. Seeks good advisors. And seeking good advisors is definitely about humility. A wise person understands that they do not know everything. How do you tell a fool? How can you pick out a fool? Somebody who thinks they know everything, who can't take advice. A wise person and a good leader is going to understand that they don't know everything and they're going to approach life with humility, understanding that they can learn things and that other people have information that can help them. And so seeking good advisors they, and humility definitely goes hand in hand. And so most people, they want counsel, right? They do want counsel, but they only want the counsel they want to hear. How many times do I run into that where people come into the office and they want me to give them advice, but they really don't want my advice or, which my advice is Bible advice. I try not to give a whole lot of practical advice, but I do give a whole lot of, I mean, a whole lot of uh, just everyday, you know, what you should do, banking and all that. I try to give Bible advice, Bible advice. Can't go wrong with that. I can go wrong with making my own decisions and what I think they should do, but it's more about what God thinks they should do. And so they come in and they wanted they want me to tell them a decision and give them some counsel, give them some wisdom, but they really don't want my answer. They come in with their own answer and they just want me to reaffirm what they think and it doesn't happen. And so what people like to do is then they like to hop from person to person to person to person until they get the advice that they want once they find it. Wow, they're like, this is what I've been waiting for. Wow, such great advice. Thankfully, Pastor Lytell, we have a policy that once somebody comes for counsel to, if they come to Pastor Bill, the person has to come back. They want counsel from myself or from Thomas or Pastor Steve. We say, no, 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 you can't hop around. You got to stay with Pastor Bill. Oh, no, that's just like a knife, guts them, rips them open because we're on. We're on to the scheme, to the plan. But a, but a good leader is someone who seeks good advice and not always the advice that they want to hear. And so Proverbs, next verse we have Proverbs 25, 20, uh, 24 and 25 says, Take away the dross and the, from the silver and there shall come forth a vessel for the finer. Take away the wicked from before the king and his throne shall be established in righteousness. If you are making bad decisions in life, look around who your friends are. See who they are. Most likely, I would say that they're probably wicked people, people who do not honor God or not trying to serve God. Somebody in RU, tell me, what's that, um, what's that one? Those who do not love God will not help me serve God. That's what it is. Again, the verse 4, take away the dross from the silver. Take away those uh, impure metals. And what happens is silver gets better, gets become more pure. And when we reject the wicked people in our life and distance ourselves from them, our decision-making is going to be established in righteousness. So 
not just in high, I feel like in high school, one of the main things you preach is get around the right friends, get around the right friends. But it's not just something that you preach to teenagers in high school. It's people you preach to adults, to grandparents, to people who are retired. Because everybody knows what goes on in some of the communities that we live and some of the people that live in there. And those are not the people that we want to be our closest friends and our advisors. So a, a wise leader is going to constantly be seeking seeking good advice. So, do you want to be a good leader? I do. You say, well, I'm not, a, I'm not a leader. I'm generally a follower. There's going to be times when you're going to have to step up. When people around you are doing wrong, and it's your opportunity to make a stand. I challenge you to look over some of these things, these four things, wisdom, integrity, love, there you go, love, and seeking good counsel. Think about some of those things, how we can apply them and strive to do them. That's not all. That's not all the characteristics of a good leader, but that is a few, and I hope it helps you in your decision-making as a leader. So let's pray, and then we'll go ahead and look at our prayer sheet and finish out the night. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here this evening. Help Pastor Bill as he's going through, through these difficult circumstances in his life. Uh, may you shine through brightly in his decision-making. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.